with that, you know, a business owner, e-commerce or non-e-commerce is allowed, you know, for-profit, non-profit are allowed to come in and get up to $2 million, uh, rates as low as three and three-quarter percent for profit companies. Uh, you know, you get a loan for $350,000, for example, your payment's only $1,600 a month because the loan terms are 30 years. You're listening to the Ecom Exits Podcast with your host, Nate Ginsberg. Learn the best tips and tactics to improve profits, cash flow, and maximize your e-commerce business value on the way to a successful exit. Welcome to the show. Hello, podcast listeners. We're back. It's your host, Nate Ginsberg, here today with Ty Crandall, CEO of CreditSuite.com. And this episode, we are going to talk about money and funding and credit, more important now than ever in light of the craziness that's going on in the world. Really excited to have Ty on, who is an expert at all of these things and to share his knowledge with all of you. So Ty, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So first, yeah, tell me a little bit about you and your background and um, how you found yourself at creditsuite.com. Sure. Well, the first month, the first company I ever owned was a mortgage company and I owned that in kind of the height of the mortgage industry. And then I was there uh, during the whole crash. So, you know, I found myself where a lot of people find themselves right now where I was the wrong industry at the wrong time. And overnight, my entire business was shut down. So as I kind of went through that recovery process, I, I, I just learned a lot of things. You know, I personally guaranteed a lot of my debts, like I think a lot of business owners do. Uh, and then what happened was then as I kind of started, and a lot of those debts started to, were reporting on my personal credit report, mistakes that I see a lot of business owners make today. So as that kind of happened and I started to default on some business debts, then it drugged down my personal credit. They cleaned out my personal accounts and it just ruined my ability to financially recover. I mean, almost pushed me to the brink of, of bankruptcy. So I would start a consumer credit business after and then years later, I would kind of start to discover this hidden world of alternative funding and all this money that's out there now and that was out there then that I didn't know about and this world of business credit and separating you know, personal and business credit and how I could have not personally guaranteed those debts and I could have had my business debts reported my business credit reports instead of my consumer and it just became really frustrated because like what existed at the time that I didn't know about could have saved me if I just would have done things the right way. So at that point, I just kind of went on this quest to educate, you know, entrepreneurs about here's funding, here's how funding works, here's the types of funding that are out there, and then help as many as I can get away from personal guarantees, separate their personal and business credit so they don't have that unfortunate fate that, that I suffered at the time. Yeah, you know, sometimes it takes it takes some challenges to be able to learn these things yourself to then be able to help others. And so now, uh, so with your business now, I mean, in light of everything that's going on, are things crazy? Like, what are you kind of seeing at you know at the helm of this massive? I mean, a business that that deals with credit. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, from a business perspective, I see exactly what I experienced in the mortgage world. You know, in the mortgage world, when I am my mortgage company and, and that went down, I just froze. I was scared. I was paralyzed. I didn't act. I just kind of waited for the whole thing to, to blow over. I see a lot of people in that state. And then I see a lot of people in the state that I'm in now, which is, okay, the world has now changed officially. This will never be the same. What's the new action plan? What's the change in messaging? What's the change in strategy? And then deploying and executing that new strategy. So from an entrepreneur mindset, I see those two things. I see people that are frozen and I see people that are innovating. And those people that are innovating are going to have amazing opportunities coming through this. They'll create whole new ways of doing business that the industry hasn't seen. They'll create these blue oceans that they didn't once see before. 
when it comes to money, you know, it's a really interesting time because we have the ability to, you know, to get funding from SBA to get things that, you know, we don't have that, that are forgiven that we don't have to pay, you know, months of payments. We, we have the ability to get away from personal guarantees on a lot of this funding and streamlined funding approval processes. So, things that, you know, we've wished for a long time could exist with SBA loans, but unfortunately it took this kind of, of disaster to happen. So, we see a lot of funding just changing places. Some funding that worked really well isn't working for entrepreneurs now, while these other new types of funding have come up that are working really well right now. So, it's just kind of a shift in our industry of the types of funding that once worked versus the kind of financing that works now. Yeah. Well, and and also correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, this current crisis that we're going through now versus what happened in 2008, in 2008, it was a banking collapse. And so uh, my understanding is, you know, I wasn't really, I was not in business at that time for myself, but uh, like at that time, credit really got tight. And I mean, the bank's like, kind of exploded. But now, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other crisis going on, but it's not centered around the banks. And so does that mean that now, you know, versus in 2008, there's like, you know, still more money available or easier for businesses to get kind of credit now in this current crisis situation than in 2008? Well, it's very interesting. I was thinking about this the other day and I thought, you know, what's interesting that I I noticed from from the, the ground in the funding world is that because of what caused that crisis and the problem with the housing market, you know, saving small businesses wasn't on the radar. You know, it wasn't all these SBA loans came out and all these options for business owners to get funding. That just really wasn't there at the time. It was all about helping people afford their mortgages and not causing mortgage defaults. And, you know, now it's the opposite world. Now all the funding and now all everything that's being done is, is specifically designed to save businesses, to keep businesses afloat, whereas back then it was keeping the banks afloat. So it's interesting because I didn't, as I think back, I just don't really see any specialized funding that became available for business owners during that time to help save them. That's what this is all about. This, the focus has been on getting money as quick as possible into business owners' hands. And that's a fundamental shift from what we've seen with saving the big banks and trying to help people save their mortgages uh, to actually now coming in and saving the small business owner and making sure that they can continue to employ their employees for, for months and years to come. So that's one of the big shifts that I've really seen, the big differences between the two. Yeah, well, so let's let's dive into some of that then. So kind of break down for, for us, what are the different types of credit available for e-commerce businesses, you know, now in this kind of climate? Well, there's a lot, you know, I mean, when you come into the actual disaster stuff, the SBA has two main programs. They have a, uh, what they call an EIDL, which is an economic injury disaster relief program. It's just, I just call that the SBA disaster funding. And with that, you know, a business owner, e-commerce or non-e-commerce is allowed, you know, for-profit, non-profit are allowed to come in and get up to $2 million, uh, rates as low as three and three quarter percent for profit companies. Uh, You know, you get a loan for $350,000, for example, your payment's only $1,600 a month because the loan terms are 30 years. And these loans are a little easier to qualify. You know, normal SBA, you need three years tax returns and three years financials. And uh, you need to come in and prove that you're using the fund for growth, et cetera. These are very different. You're, you're going direct to the treasury. So you're, you're not even going through a bank. Usually you have to go through a bank and then you got to meet SBA's requirements and the bank's requirements. These are the, the money's issued right from the treasury. So the loan is a faster process. 
Uh, the other thing, you only need the one-year financials and you can use the money for income drop-off, expenses are increases, revenue is dropped off, you know, sales have decreased. They're, you're expected to use the funds for that purpose. So, if you're in a business that's really been directly impacted by that, you want to go in, you want to go to disaster.gov, you want to start an application process for that kind of disaster loan. What would qualify someone for that type of, of credit? Well, a lot of cases, the SBA loans, uh, normal requirements still apply. So you still have to have the credit qualification, which means you still have to have a credit history that reflects that you're paying your bills on time. They don't want to see derogatory items in the last couple of years. They don't want to see any judgments and bankruptcies or anything like that on the credit report. And you're going to need to establish your business credit. Uh, now, we've got a, a great guide at creditsuite.com forward slash EIN where somebody can kind of go through the steps to build their business credit. But you've got to establish business credit because you won't have a FICO small business score high enough to qualify if you haven't established your business credit. Beyond that, you, you've got to provide financials. So, they're just looking for stability. They're looking for your ability to pay back the loan that you actually have. So, if you're coming in and doing that kind of loan and you're, you know, you're getting more than $25,000, uh, you, you know, you, you might have to be required to provide some kind of collateral, even a house, for example, can serve as some kind of collateral there. But the main thing there is you've got to have revenue showing that you could repay the debt and you're going to have to credit qualify for the SBA loans and you're going to have to show that you've been impacted. So, impacted, we're still, they really haven't defined that, but in some cases, they've seen that you've seen as much as a 25% disruption of your business but if you're showing that your sales are declining and that you know, you're not unable to pay your expenses, that's exactly what those loans are designed for. They haven't really specified how much of a decrease in expense or, or increase in expenses or decrease in revenue you'd have to have to qualify. Okay. And so, so that, is, that would fall into disaster relief straight from the treasury. Uh, so that's one, one option. What else is there for business owners out there now that, that might need some money? Well, there's a lot. There's a, the other plan that just came out. You know, the government just released, a, as we do this interview last week, a, a $2 trillion package, which will, this, this will be very relevant for many months to come. And this is called the CARES Act. And the CARES Act has a lot of language. It's about 880 pages the bill. But when it comes to, you know, your audience, when it comes to small business owners owning, you know, having less than 500 employees, this does some pretty creative things. Ultimately, you're able to get as much as two and a half times the amount of your average monthly payroll. So they look at the last year, they average your payroll, and then whatever that average comes out to be, you're, you're allowed to get about two and a half times that amount lent to you. Um, the amount can be forgiven over six months worth of payments can be forgiven if you're using that money towards uh, re retaining payroll, paying insurance, paying mortgage or rent or utility expenses. Those expenses for the equivalent of, of basically up to six months time can be completely forgiven. And whether it be six weeks, six months, we're still waiting for the final guidelines to come down to SBA. So some of those things we're still not clear on. But we definitely know that part of the loan that relates to retaining payroll, insurance, utilities, those things will be forgiven somewhere between six weeks worth or six months worth. We're still waiting for that to come out from SBA. Mm -hmm. So that funding is really used to retain employees. You don't have to show a drop off in your business. You don't have to show that you were adversely affected. You just have to show that you're using it to retain payroll, that you have to admit, you know, sign off on acknowledgements that you're using it to pay things related to payroll, expenses to keep your office open, that you're intending on keeping your employees um, actually, you know, hired or, 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 you know, maintain them as employees. 
So that's the kind of second side of it. The disaster loans kind of deal with, they anticipate your revenue, et cetera, has dropped off. The PPP loan is really designed to making sure that moving forward, you're retaining the employers that you're the employees that you have. So two really good options to be able to get funding. So I'm pretty familiar with SBA loans, but more from the uh, use for acquisitions, not as much of these other kind of vehicles for that. And is it the same kind of process to apply or like, you know, what that process looks like, how to qualify, who's, you know, not going to qualify? Well, and those are the things I think that we're, we're still kind of, you know, waiting to figure out. But when it comes to SBA, you've got typical SBA programs, a 7A you could use for, for, for general purposes, a a 504 you can use for, uh, you know, if you're doing something with real estate, for example. And these new loans that now come out, which kind of have their own set purposes, one for disaster relief, the other really designed to help retain retain employees. Some of the biggest changes between normal SBA loans and this is that, you know, the disaster relief comes right from the treasury. These PPP loans, there, it looks like they're going to willing to take SBA out of the process. So usually if you apply for a loan, you go to a big bank, the bank, like let's say Chase, looks at your application, they underwrite the application. When you meet Chase's requirements, then you have to meet SBA's requirements. So it's like a dual underwriting process. The disaster loans from SBA come right from the treasury. So they've cut SBA out and they've cut out the actual lenders themselves to in hopes of expediting the process. With these new PPP loans, it looks like they're doing, which I've never seen them do before. It's never been done. They're opening up the doors to fintech. So they're coming to all these alternative lenders like Cabbage and all these online lenders that are on the space, and they're giving even them the ability to originate these loans. So they're still going through banks like they typically have, but it looks like they're wildly expanding the amount of lending sources that have the ability to originate the loans therefore not bogging down your big players like Bank of America Chase, whereas if all these applications were getting funneled in there, could cause significant delays. Hmm. Interesting. And so what other types of funding or credit is there aside from SBA? Like, you know, if you want to get lines of credit or other types of, of debt, that's not SBA that could be available. Well, there's a lot of different types. And, and, you know, the easiest way to explain this is that when we went through the mortgage crisis, what happened was the big banks were basically the place to go to be able to get money. Then what kind of happened as a result of that is that we had Dodd-Frank that was passed. And then Dodd-Frank really required banks to tighten up at a level that they hadn't had to before. So this opened up all these alternative lenders. And, you know, now what happens, you know, now these alternative lenders now account for over 90% of lending in the country. And the difference is, is when you deal with SBA, I kind of call this the the three C cash acquisition formula. It's pretty simple. It's just based on cash flow, credit, collateral, meaning that when you go to get money from a bank or go to get money from an alternative lender, they're, they're, they're looking at one of these factors, cash flow, credit, collateral. So what's existed for us in the past has been that you need to get an SBA loan. You need to have all three be good. You need to have good credit. You need to have good cash flow that's increasing. You need to have good collateral. These alternative lenders now focus on one of the three instead of all three. So instead of you needing all three, you could use just your cash flow to get cash flow financing, or you could use just your credit to get $150,000 you know, credit line at you know, 0% for the, for the next 18 months. Or you could use collateral such as a 401k or stocks to be able to qualify for low interest rate credit lines. So when I talk to business owners about what kind of money they can get, I always say, you got to focus on those three C's. Where is your strength? If you have good personal credit, 
Well, then you're able to get, you know, what we call a credit line hybrid. You can get credit lines of $150,000, 0% rate for 18 months. They report to the business credit reporting agencies. So they help you build business credit. There are no docs, so you can get them without bank statements, without tax returns. Great way to go if you've got a 650 FICO score or higher or, or, or a guarantor that has one. That's one of those popular programs right now that, that we see. Then if you've got cash flow as your strength and you've got regular money going through your bank account, uh, your, your revenues haven't dropped off. They've stayed the same. They're consistent. They're growing. Well, then that opens up cash flow financing where if you have 5000 a month going through your bank account, you can get you know, 12, 15% of your annual revenue advanced to you. So if you have a you know, $300,000 in revenue, you can get you know, $30,000, $40,000 in funding with that program fairly quick. You can get up to half a million dollars within 48 hours ultimately. So that's just based on cash flow. And again, if you have wow. cash flow, your credit doesn't matter. It could be bad. You don't need collateral, et cetera. Then there's kind of that third category, which is collateral-based financing. And that's where you have account receivables or purchase orders. So you, you mentioned using SBA to purchase a business. Well, SBA loans require collateral. Well, account receivables, companies that let their customers pay them on terms. That's the most popular type of asset that's used for acquisition loans through SBA, meaning you're using the, the current business that you're buying's account receivables as collateral to be able to qualify and be able to buy that business. Some people use stocks and bonds or 401ks or IRAs or uh, commercial real estate or residential real estate or even vehicles as collateral. So, for example, for e-commerce, one of my favorite vehicles that exists is it's a crowdfunding for inventory for e-commerce. So, you know, e-commerce businesses can get crowdfunding to buy their inventory and then they can, as they sell the inventory, they pay back the actual financing that they get. So, that's one of these kind of specifically based uh, uh, funding that's based on collateral because your inventory is the asset that's getting the deal done. You don't need the credit. You don't need cash flow. So, that's kind of the three C's formula. You just got to focus on cash flow credit and or collateral, which are your strengths. The more of those C's you have, the more type of financing you can get. If you have all three, you get an SBA loan. If you have, you know, good cash flow and good credit, well, then that opens up like longer term term loans as an example. So, that kind of gives you an overview of, of how alternative financing works. Mm -hmm. So, with the SBA to qualify, you need to check the most boxes in order to qualify for the, the SBA or at least for like traditional SBA compared to some of these other lending options. Yeah, I mean, the, in the perfect example there is, you know, you need cash flow, you need credit and collateral to get an SBA loan, uh, whereas you only need one of those with some of those alternative sources that we talked about. Well, 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 and, and is that the same if you're using SBA for an acquisition or for taking a loan with your, with your business? Because if it's, I guess, yeah, how, how does it work if it's SBA for acquisition? Well, it's really the same. I mean, you know, SBA loans are offered by SBA approved originators, which are typically your big banks. So, if you're going to go and buy a business, then you could simply go to your banker or, you know, we can help you with that and put you in touch with somebody that does SBA loans or also SBA loan brokers out there. So, there's a few different options, but you get with somebody that's designated to offer SBA loans. And then in doing so, uh, you're able to then go in, purchase that business, oftentimes put as little as 10 to 10% down on your purchase, have SBA finance the rest using the business's assets as collateral. But of course, you know, it's, it's the 3C formula here. So, you, the business would still have to have the cash flow to provide that it could pay the debt. You would have to have good personal credit. But as long as you have those three Cs, then you could use that SBA financing for the form of an acquisition of a business.
Uh, I, I see. So, so in those, when it's the business that you're acquiring qualifies as the cash flow portion, and then is the collateral as well? Or you mentioned personal liability versus you know not personal liabilities. And my understanding with SBA is that it is a, a personal liability. And so, what type of collateral? would you need potentially or or could you use for for SBA lending well, the the number one most popular is account receivables so you know your customers pay you on terms so use credit suite as an example you know we sell a a product called our business finance suite and it helps business owners you know improve their fundability build business credit get financing so we let our customers pay over 7 to 9 months time so that's called an account receivable meaning you know they agreed to buy for a certain price and we let them finance over 7 months so we could use those account receivables as collateral to get an SBA loan. So when we go to get an SBA loan, we just show them that we have this account receivables, RAR, and then RAR is way more than loan amount we're trying to acquire. So that's, that's sufficient for collateral and they don't need to, to use anything else. They're typically going to try to grab all the business collateral they can get and then go to personal collateral if it's not enough. So in our case, you know, they don't need to secure my personal home as collateral for the loan because, you know, we're getting a $350,000 loan and our AR is over a million dollars. So our AR is well more than the loan we're getting. We don't need to supply any other kind of collateral. So that is the most common kind of collateral. You come in, you're acquiring a business, the business lets their customers pay on terms. They, those account receivables are used as collateral to qualify uh, for the collateral component of an SBA loan and you're good to go. But if you don't have that, then, you know, there are other things that can work as well. Does the, does the, build, the business have commercial real estate? Do you might want to pledge, you know, your, your personal home if, if the business doesn't have enough collateral. Um, you know, stocks, bonds, 401ks, does the business have inventory? Does the business have equipment that's worth value? So the first thing SBA is going to do is look at all of the assets of the business that could be service collateral. And if that's not enough to cover the loan, they're typically going to want you to pledge personal assets to cover uh -huh. the loan. But typically, you're not going to want to buy a business that doesn't have enough assets to cover the loan amount and, anyway. And, and I guess that's also because I understand that in order to do an SBA acquisition, the business and the purchaser need to qualify. And so, you know, assuming that it has cash flow or there, you know, are some pieces that can be used towards collateral in that through that qualification process, uh, it's like some of those boxes are, or I'm guessing, getting checked. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned the difference between personal credit and business credit. You know, I've got personal credit cards. I have business credit cards. Is that what you're talking about, a business credit, or, or is that something different? Business credit has a couple names, business credit, corporate credit. If we really get into the definition of it, then what we do is a lot of corporate credit building. And the difference is this, you know, you have personal credit and you might even think that you have credit for your business. And so in the, in the world, when we look at credit cards, for example, you know, to keep it simple, you could go out and you could have a Home Depot credit card and that Home Depot credit card reports on your personal credit report. You know, as you put balance on there, that reflects on your personal credit report and it affects your, your personal FICO score. But Home Depot also has a commercial credit card, a corporate credit card, a business credit card, you know, goes by several different names. The difference is, is that the Home Depot corporate card doesn't report on the personal credit report. It reports on the business's credit report. So, you know, over 90% of entrepreneurs don't realize that their business has its own credit report score. And if you ever want to get away from personal guarantees and personal liability, then you really have to build out your business credit profile. Business credit's kind of what allows the business to fund itself instead of relying on the personal owner. So, 
for example, if we look at a personal guarantee, which means you're personally liable for that debt. So if I go and I'll give you an example. In the mortgage crisis, I personally guaranteed a Bank of America line of credit. When the business went under and defaulted on that, they came and took all the money from my personal bank account to pay that business debt. That's what happens with personal guarantees. It's what can happen. So to get away, and if you look at why a personal guarantee is required, it's required because the business can't stand on its own, meaning the business hasn't established its own credit profile and score. But as I start to establish a credit profile and score for my business, then I can go to Home Depot, I can go to Lowe's, and I can go to Staples and Office Depot and, you know, Sam's Club and Costco, only Macy's, Nordstrom, I mean, almost every major retailer out there, and I can use my business to qualify for that credit card instead of me personally. I don't have to provide my personal credit for underwriting approval. So they don't look at my personal credit. They don't put an inquiry on my personal credit report. I'm not personally liable. I'm not personally guaranteeing this credit. So if I ever default, they can come after the business's assets, but they can't come after mine personally. And so now what happens is that this credit reports on my business credit reports. So I could, you know, have a Home Depot corporate credit card. I could max out the entire credit card and it would have no adverse impact on my personal credit because it doesn't report there. It only reports to the business credit reporting agencies. So that's really the easiest difference is that your business has a credit report and score that's linked to your EIN that's separate from your personal credit report score that's linked to your social. And if done correctly, you could build a corporate credit profile and score. And then that business credit profile can start qualifying you for all kinds of high limit credit, especially with major retailers, without the personal guarantee, without the personal liability, without the personal credit check, that's all involved if you're going and using that, that trying to obtain that credit on a personal level versus a business level. I see the appeal. And so what are some things that businesses can do to start building that business credit? Well, the, the business credit really starts, and, and I recommend the same step for anybody getting financing as well. We, we call this fundability. So, the, you know, if you've applied for a credit card before, you've had one of two outcomes. You either got an automatic and immediate automated approval, or you got that dreaded message that you'll hear by mail in seven to 10 days. What happens at that, at that segue is that you either meet the requirements of this online computer or you don't. If you don't, then they, you know, bump it back to be manually underwritten and usually that results in a denial. But if you kind of understand the algorithm, you understand what these computers are looking for, you can kind of tweak things in your business and make sure that you meet the requirements before you apply. So we call that fundability and fundability has to do with things like, you know, setting up an entity and preferably an LLC or a corporation. They give you more credibility. Having a real physical business address or choosing a virtual address where you could rent a mailbox at a big high-rise building and it looks like you have a, a, an address there, but you're just really renting the mailbox. Um, those are way better options than home addresses or PO boxes or UPS addresses, which can get you denied. Using a business phone uh, instead of a home phone or a, a mobile phone on, on business applications, making sure that that business phone is toll-free, getting it listed with 411, having a professional website set up that reflects the products and services you offer, having an, an email that's congruent with your domain, you know, not a a Yahoo or a Gmail, but you know, my email is info at creditsuite.com and our domain is creditsuite.com. So, you know, having an email that's synonymous with the domain of your business, having any necessary licenses that you need. I mean, making sure that everything in your business reflects that you're set up as a legitimate, credible business, probably most important of all, making sure that all your information is congruent. What, what's listed with the Secretary of State's the same as Yelp, the same as your Facebook page, the same as online. I mean, Believe it or not, the majority of applications are denied because 
when you submit an application, the lender or credit issuer can't even verify that your business exists because the name of the business, uh, the spelling of the business name or the address or the phone number that you entered on the application are not the same as places they're finding like Yelp or, or the Secretary of State. So making sure that even all that information is congruent. That's really the first step of getting any kind of money. You've got to make sure that fundability is in line. And then once you've done that with business credit building, you can then start to move on to the next step of, of obtaining vendor accounts to start building that initial credit profile. And well, so uh, I want to come to the, the vendor accounts uh, in, in a second, but, but a few questions on that, that first set fundability. And so when you're saying that, you know, everything has to be consistent and, and you know, having the, a business address and a, and a business number, who is actually checking this? Or like, what is, you know, what is it getting checked against? It's everything needs to match your tax return or you mentioned like the secretary of state. So when you, you know, whatever you filed with your, your articles with the LLC has to be consistent with the loan docs or like. This is where things get really, I, I don't know if, even know of another word other than shady on the business end because what's happening is they're tapping into all these databases and credit reports that most, be, most business owners don't even know exist. And so what, what they're really doing, and we have to think about, I don't know about you, but you know, myself in any given month, I'm exposed to three to 10 attempts of fraud. Recently, last week, you know, somebody was trying to solicit my employee to get gift cards from, from Walgreens. And I love those guys because I go back and forth with them and play with them and act like, you know, I'm, I'm the other person. But there's all kinds of fraud things that are happening. Well, you can imagine what's going on with banks. I mean, banks are overwhelmed with fraud. You know, the vast majority of the applications that come in their door aren't even legitimate. These companies don't exist. The individuals don't exist. It's just a snowball job to try to get money from the lending institutions and credit issuers. So there's all these behind the scenes checks that are taking place to make sure that that application is not fraud. And what happens more than half of the time, and this is what's crazy, you go into Bank of America with a, with a, with a six inch stack of paperwork to get a loan but you never even make it past the first check and your loan gets denied and you don't know that the reason why is because they don't even think that you're really legitimate because what they do is their computers go into a series of checks. They check the secretary of state. They check LexisNexis and we'll talk about LexisNexis here in a second. And then when they pull back that your EIN and your company name spelling or your address or your phone number is off from the application, then where they pulled this data from then what happens is they automatically then will push it for a manual review. So now what happens is you've got somebody that you didn't pass the initial checks. You just didn't pass the initial smell check. You know, things that you put on the app don't add up with other sources they're pulling data from. They push it for manual review. And you can imagine being that guy. Like that guy just got an application that the computer is saying is fraud. So he's got to like have huge cojones to then approve that application and put his job on the line saying this isn't fraud, this is legit. So most of those that make it for manual underwriting review never make it further because, you know, they're always going to be very skeptical that that application is even legit. This is the process. More than half of all loan apps are denied because of this potential fraud. So one of the basic places they check is Secretary of State. You need to make sure because we set up these business entities first. Then we go build a business and we forget that like, you know, we used our home address on the entity when we set it up and, you know, we, we didn't use the business address. And, you know, when we set it up, we forget that all the stuff that we entered in secretary of state 
isn't even the same as what our business is now. Then when we do annual reports, we just click through the buttons, you know, to get through mm -hmm. that process quickly without really paying attention that we're verifying outdated information there. So Secretary of State's one of the basic places. The other is this, is LexisNexis. Now LexisNexis is, I mean, it is insane. LexisNexis is the most intrusive credit report you'll ever be able to access about your life. Mine is about 400 pages, you know, whereas my normal credit report's about 30, to give you an idea. It's got every home you've ever lived in, the building materials of your home, your homeowners association, every note you've ever had on your home, the interest rates you paid, the title companies you used to close the deal, every phone number and email and address you've ever been associated with in your life, every, you know, uh, criminal thing you've ever had from, you know, being a, a sexual predator all the way down to having misdemeanors on your credit report or felonies or every speeding ticket is on there, every insurance policy you've ever owned and the details of those, every vehicle you've ever owned including VIN number is on there. I, I, I can go on and on. I mean, literally, I could spend an hour just telling you just what's on LexisNexis. So all this data exists about you on these reports. You don't even know it. And then what's happening is the lender's tapping in electronically to this data, and they're comparing all these things from your business, your EIN, your spelling of your name, et cetera. When it doesn't match, you get denied. Beyond all that, you've got something called the SBFE, which is the Small Business Financial Exchange. And this is a third-party data aggregator that is owned by the banks. So what most people don't realize is that Chase and Bank of America and you know, Regions and all these other banks, Wells Fargo, they all openly share information through this platform with each other. So if you go into Wells Fargo and apply and say that your revenue is $300,000 for the year, and then you go to Bank of America and you're like, oh man, I, I checked it. It's actually 330000 a year. Well, then what you don't realize is that those banks are communicating electronically with each other and you just put information on one app that's different than another and it automatically throws up red flags. So that's just a really quick look into the behind the scenes of where they're getting data and how they're using data to determine that they believe applications to be fraud and then denying those applications before income and credit and those kind of things are even looked at. So, I mean, the practical step that people can take is to, when they're filling out these things, just kind of make sure that the business address that they put is the same as what they did when they registered with the address and phone number and info is the same that they put when they registered the LLC when they're also applying for the loan? Is that like, I mean, one? Yeah, a lot of it. I mean, and we can do a free fundability check for you. So if anybody, you know, gives us a ring at 877-600-2487 or goes to creditsuite.com forward slash console, it's the first thing we do on our consultation. We do what we call a fundability check. We look at your fundability to see, or do you have mismatches that you don't know about? We pull a free you know, business credit report for you for Dun & Bradstreet and Experian to see if you're set up there and you don't know that you are. Because you know, Experian and Equifax will, will issue you failing credit scores with, without your business even doing anything wrong, like just because they know you exist because you don't have business credit established. We will come in and do a check with Dun & Bradstreet, Experian and Equifax to even see if you're established with them now. So we do these checks to give you know, everybody a, a quick look to see if you're set up where you're fundable now or not. But yeah, the easiest way to explain it is that you should always go to Secretary of State and make sure that the information there adds up to what's on your application. You also need to do a free, you know, an online check. You need to check your Facebook page. You need to check your website. You need to check Yelp and Bing and Yahoo and all the yellow pages. I mean, anywhere your business is listed, 
you know, you need to make sure that all that information is congruent. Now, there are services like Yext, Y-E-X-T, and there's a lot of them out there. Yext is, is fairly expensive, but there's others that are, that are much cheaper. But Yext will do all of that in one place. So I can go to Yext, enter my information, and they change it across all yellow pages. Not all, but the majority of yellow pages and listings that are out there in one shot. So you can use a service like that or you can manually go to them, but everywhere your business is listed, you need to make sure the information that's being seen, the spelling of the name, the address, the phone number, at least that amount is all exactly the same as congruent. You also should get LexisNexis. You could do a Google search for uh, how to get your LexisNexis credit report. You know, and if you're a member of, of, of Credit Suite, we, we do that for you as well. And we even help you with the disputing of that. But you need to do the same thing on your own if you're not a member. You know, you need to go out, get your LexisNexis credit report. You need to look through it and they'll have you fill out a form and they'll mail it to you in 30 days. And then you need to dispute any inaccuracies. You need to look at the information that these lenders are looking at. You should get your check systems credit report too. There's a whole credit report and credit score that's associated with how you handle your banking history. So you should get that kind of report as well and just dispute anything. Make sure that that information that's being done behind the scenes is congruent. And then when you're filling out applications, you need to really print that application and make sure that from one bank to another, if you're applying multiple places, that the information you're entering like revenue and employees, et cetera, that it's exactly the same knowing that one bank is going to, you know, cross check that against the other bank to make sure it's congruent. Those are just some things you can do to have the best chance of, of getting automated approvals versus these declines that come from manual underwriting. Mm, okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense and I think is, is you know, really valuable and actionable for anyone out there, myself included, that is interested in you know, exploring different credit or you know, loan options, making sure that the information everywhere is consistent to give yourself the best chance of making it through that first check. Uh, and not finding yourself at the guy who has to, you know, put his job on his line to reverse the the, the automated non-approval. And so, um, aside from getting everything consistent, is there any other like tips or tricks or things you'd recommend uh, once you get your ducks in a row in terms of consistent information across all those places that we were talking about? Well, I think then you take the rest of those steps to build business credit. You know, you could do that a couple ways. If you have good credit, you get that program we talked about, the credit line hybrid. You know, you're getting credit lines at 0% for 18 months and building business credit at the same time because those report to the business credit reporting agencies. If you don't go that way, then you want to get credit with vendors, people like Uline, Quill, Granger. What's unique about these vendors is they'll give you credit when you have none, but they report the credit to the business credit reporting agencies. So that'll start to establish a credit profile, start to establish a credit score for your business, and you should monitor that. You know, we have a link at creditsuite.com forward slash monitoring. It's $24 to monitor your business credit versus $250 directly to the reporting agency. So it's really affordable to be able to come in and be able to make sure that you can actually be able to get that done. Mm -hmm. So you make sure you come in and get vendor accounts that report to the business credit reporting agencies, then monitor that business credit so you can make sure you keep an eye when those accounts report. Once you get about a handful of those accounts, about five accounts reporting across the three reporting agencies, 
then you want to start moving on and start applying for retail store credit. You know, the Staples, the Office Depot, the Lowe's, Home Depot, Costco, Sam's Club. Like I said, almost every major retail offers these. With about five accounts reporting, some of them will start to approve you. And the more accounts you have reporting, more of those retailers will approve you. You know, don't give them the authority to pull a personal credit check. Don't give them the authority to attach a personal guarantee. And then they're going to make decisions based on that established business credit history that you have. As you kind of continue that and you get eight to 10 accounts, you can get fleet credit, you know, Sunoco, uh, Fuel Man fleet cards, Wex fleet cards. These are really good for people in the, in the transportation industry. A lot of your audience, not necessarily a good fit because a lot of the, them are in e-commerce, but you can start to get fleet credit. Then, you know, you get Visa cards, MasterCards, uh, auto financing, uh, when you have about 14 accounts reporting on your business credit reports. And then you can get all that without a personal guarantee and without a personal credit check. So building business credit is a great way to go because it gives you capital without needing one of the C's. You don't need cash flow, credit, or collateral to get business credit. So it's a great way to get funding even when you can't get other kind of financing. But business credit is the baseline of, of you being able to get the money you need. It determines how much money you'll be lent. It determines the rates and terms you'll be lent. So if you're somebody out there that's been disappointed in the past because you didn't get the money you wanted or you didn't get the terms you wanted, a large part that's driven by business credit history. So by building your business credit, not only does that open up these high limit accounts without a personal guarantee and credit check, but it builds a commercial credit profile that makes it much easier to get the money you need through loans and credit lines when you go to apply. And it also helps you get the most money at the best terms because they're making decisions based on established and hopefully well-maintained business credit versus a business that has no credit profile and score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. And as something, it sounds like what it's just like taking some of the, the first steps available to start a business credit relationship, building on that to then lean more on the business credit and to shift away from the personal credit to then get all the benefits of not having it attached to your personal and personal guarantee and the different you know options that are available then to you from a business credit standpoint, continuing to move in, in that direction. You mentioned, uh, I think a few times, like uh, a business line of credit that's like, I think you said up to like $150,000 with zero interest for 18 months. Well, there's a lot of financing out there, but that's probably one of the most popular programs we see. It's called, we call it the credit line hybrid. And it's called a credit line hybrid because it's kind of a hybrid between credit cards and credit lines. You get the benefit of credit cards that give you these 0% intro rates. So in this case, you get 0% for eight to 18 months. And then you get the benefit of a credit line, which gives you cash out capability. You could take cash out, you could write checks. But when you combine those two benefits, you're able to take cash out on these cards, write checks against them, et cetera, at 0% for up to 18 months. So huge benefits there on top of the fact that they're no doc. They don't look at revenue. They don't look at at tax returns or bank statements. You know, nonprofits can get approved, e-commerce, higher risk industries can get approved. It's just strictly based on personal credit. So if you have a 650 FICO score or higher, you're able to kind of meet them, possibly the minimum requirements. And they want your inquiries to stay somewhat low, like less than six in the last six months or so. Uh, They want your utilization to be low, under 40%, preferably even under 30%. But if you've got credit cards and at least one of them has a $2,000 limit or higher and you're paying your bills as agreed and you don't have any recent late payments. Keep in mind that your credit's all that's being used to make the underwriting decision. So if your credit reflects, you know, somebody that should lend you money, then you're typically able to get five to eight times the amount. 
of your highest credit limit account. So if you have a oh, wow. you know ten thousand dollar credit card now with Chase, then you're able to get about fifty to eighty thousand in financing with this program, zero percent for up to eighteen months. And a lot of these accounts report to the business credit reporting agencies. So you can even max them out and not adversely affect your personal credit uh, because they're reporting on the business credit reports. But you're also getting a business credit history. So you know uh, we do a lot online. A lot of your 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 audience does the same. We spend a hundred thousand dollars a month on our Amex card on Facebook ads. So, but the difference is, is that our Amex card reports to our business credit reports. So, you know, when we go to get loans, they see that we're spending a hundred a month just with Amex. You can imagine our ability to get financing versus somebody that doesn't have that kind of history. You know, our ability to get the money we want at good terms and get high approvals is way better because they're seeing that we're spending all this money on a regular basis. Whereas so many people that don't have that business credit reporting aren't getting that benefit. So that kind of gives you an idea of how that credit line hybrid yeah. program works. And, and, and so if someone's interested in that, like where do they go to explore or apply for that? Well, we can help them with that. I mean, we don't charge any rates. You know, we don't charge any kind of fee or anything for financing. What we do is we work with over a thousand lending sources and a lot we don't make any money on like SBA loans, disaster loans, all these loans that we're helping people with. We don't make any money on those. We're just trying to make sure that we help people get the funding they need. Some others we get paid, you know, a, a referral fee from the actual lender, but it's still cheaper to work with us and get our help than anywhere else because we do so much volume with these lenders that we get volume discounts that we kind of pass on directly to our clients. And then depending on your unique scenario, your credit, your industry, et cetera, then we'll give you guidance and get you placed with the best source that'll give you the most amount of money. Uh, and then they'll typically approve you same day. And it takes about two and a half to three weeks to, to get your lines in the mail from there. Very cool. Very interesting. Uh, something that me personally, I want to uh, start that process because in times like these, you know, I'm trying to get access to as much capital as possible. And so uh, that seems like I'm personally interested in that. And I think that's something that our, our listeners as well. Ty, this has been uh, really, really awesome. Thank you so much for, for sharing all your knowledge on this. I, I definitely learned a lot. And honestly, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, you know, move forward some of these different credit options and, and you know, build some of that business credit. What is the final tip that uh, you would like to share or your number one tip for businesses that are looking to get financing or, or become better fundable, one final tip to, to leave the audience with. I think, you know, the best thing, and it's interesting in the time that we're in, because I always give the same tip, which is be prepared, <laughs> which I guess is very relevant to the time frame that we're in. But, you know, like I always say is that people complain that banks don't want to lend money when you really need it. But the reality is when revenues start declining, when you're really in a high pressure situation, lenders don't want to lend because, you know, it's, it's really risky when things are already on a decline in your business. So my advice is always to get the funding you need to be able to mitigate tough times when it comes. You know, go in, start building your business credit now. It takes time to do, but by doing so, you open up the ability to get high limit accounts and it makes it easier to get the funding when you need it. Go in and access credit lines right now. Any credit line you can get your hands on because you're not paying payments on it unless you're actually using that money. And I can tell you, we take advantage of so many opportunities with our credit lines. Like we'll probably come in and make two or three acquisitions this year as other businesses falter because we have access to our credit lines to be able to make those moves. So my best thing to say is just be prepared. 
Set up your fundability to be prepared for money when you need it. Get, build your business credit to get the money you need and be set up to get the money you need when you need it. And get as many credit lines as you can access because you're not paying payments on those unless you use the money. So it doesn't hurt you just to have that money available. Ty, uh, thank you so much again for joining us. Please uh, let the audience know how they can get in touch and they want your help with any of these things that we've been talking about. Well, we've got a great free guide at creditsuite.com forward slash EIN uh, and at creditsuite.com forward slash EIN that kind of maps out the exact steps to build business credit, gives more into fundability, you know, gives more information as well on the exact steps and even vendors that will help you build business credit. And then if we can ever help you with financing, just go to creditsuite.com forward slash get funding. If you fill out a handful of questions at creditsuite.com forward slash get funding, you'll go right to our finance team and our finance can team uh, can help you along the way. And at our main website, creditsuite.com, there's a form, our email, our phone, all that information is there as well if you'd like to get in touch. And our social media links are there, which we have hundreds and hundreds of, of videos and training on everything to do with fundability to business credit building and everything in between. Well, amazing, Ty. Thanks so much for joining us. Same to you. Thank you so much for having me. I had a, I had a blast today. This has been the Ecom Exits podcast with Nate Ginsberg. If you're enjoying the Ecom Exits podcast, show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help other smart entrepreneurs find us. We appreciate your support. We have a new episode every week on the Ecom Exits podcast. So, catch you next time.